Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to News from the Torah. This is Leah Aroni with you live from Jerusalem. Today is March 2nd, 2022, the 29th day of the Hebrew month of Adar, all of the first Adar. And this is the Torah portion of Pikudei. We're finishing the book of uh, Shmot, the book of Exodus this week. And also on Friday is going to be Rosh Chodesh Adar Bet, the, the month of Purim, a very special time, a time of miracles and happiness for the Jewish people. But we are going to dedicate this entire show to the crisis in Ukraine and the neighboring countries, the refugee crisis. It's one of the biggest, probably the biggest humanitarian crisis in the history of Europe since 1945. I have been in touch with the Jewish communities in Ukraine and in surrounding countries to understand the needs to be there to help. And we are going to talk with Josh Wonder who took the time literally right away on Saturday night to fly out to Moldova and Romania to be there on the ground to help out in every way he can. And I think this is a wake-up call for every single one of us. I think every single person listening to the show has to wake up and say, what can I do to help? I don't think anybody is exempt from helping. And if you have been following my show over the past year and a half, I think all of the Torah I have been trying to teach here and all of the conversations we have had here have been practical. It's about how does Torah, how does Jewish wisdom inform our behavior? Well, there is no more important time to take lessons of the Torah, to take lessons of Jewish wisdom to inform that our behavior than in times of crisis. And the Torah is very clear on this. When there is a crisis, when there are people out there who need help, Nobody, nobody, nobody can afford, can allow themselves to sit back and say, this doesn't touch me, or somebody else will take care of it, because that somebody is actually you. And the Torah tells us that when the Jewish people had to bring donations to the temple, these are the stories we're reading right now, the leaders, the princes of the Jewish community said, you know, let the people bring whatever they can and we will bring the rest. And guess what? There was nothing else left to bring and they were left out. There's a humanitarian crisis going out there. Don't be left out. Go out now to do something to help and we'll talk all about that right after the break. So please stay tuned. Israel is located in one of the most volatile areas in the world. Israel is an island of stability and a sea of war and unrest. In the midst of this turmoil, Israel stands out as a beacon of order and human progress. Each week we update you on what's happening in this, the Jewish state, a true light unto the nations. This is Jay Shapiro. Join me every Thursday on Israel News Talk Radio. Welcome to the next segment of the show. And as I said, this show is uh, 
all um, dedicated to the situation in Ukraine. And today we are with Josh Wonder from Israel 365. And Josh actually flew out to Romania and Moldova to help out with the refugee crisis there. Hi, Josh. How are you doing? Hi, Leah. How are you? Excellent. Things are, uh, unfortunately, things have been, uh, we've seen better days here, but uh, we're, we have, we're very optimistic for the future. So tell me about this trip. How did it come about? What made you go? So this uh, trip was, uh, uh, I was sponsored by a foundation called Israel 365. Um, they wanted to, uh, they started a campaign to raise funds to help out uh, with the escape of Jews uh, from, uh, from the Ukraine, help out with the refugees that have already escaped and are over the border, and also to see what we can do in order to assist their return home to the land of Israel. I hear. Okay. So tell us what happened. Where did you go first? What, what have you been doing since you've been there? So I flew out last week uh, on the Saturday night. And uh, I actually came with a delegation of United Hatzalah. Um, although I'm, I'm not part of the, United, uh, the, the, the delegation, I am a volunteer of theirs. And I joined their delegation. We came through, uh, we flew into Bucharest. Unfortunately, there was no closer uh, open airports because all the airports are, being clo- are closed around the Ukraine. So we were forced to fly into Bucharest and to take a uh, travel by land to Moldova. Uh, that took us uh, probably 12 hours. I'm just going to uh, help people who are not familiar with that region to understand the geography of it. Uh, so the two countries that are west of Ukraine, one is Moldova. It is landlocked between Romania and Ukraine. And it's a no-fly zone right now. It's a very small country. It's a thir- third world country, a former Republic of the Soviet Union. And then uh, next to it is Romania, which is a larger country, uh, a former communist country, also third world. And that's the closest way to get to Moldova. You have to go to, to Bucharest, Romania. And from there, you can uh, travel by land to Moldova. Okay, so go ahead. Now, it's also worth noting that Romania is part of the EU and uh, Moldova is not, and the Ukraine is not. So that, that, that has uh, all sorts of significance, both politically and uh, on the ground, uh, what, what's going on. But we... Um, took a, like a 12-hour uh, uh, ride. We took a bus. Uh, they brought with them all sorts of uh, medical equipment and things that they would need. And I brought with me what was asked for me to bring, which is all the cheese, the kosher cheese and kosher meat that I could bring. Um, I, one, I, I wound up going. It was Saturday night uh, when I found out that I was going. And in Israel, Saturday nights, it's not so easy to find a place right after Shabbat that is open uh, to purchase things. But I ran to uh, the closest supermarket. And as soon as it opened, I went in and emptied out their shelves. Um, Approximately 50 kilos of cheese, blocks of cheese, and 50 kilos of uh, chicken, meat. That's like 100 Uh, pounds each. Our American listeners don't know what a kilo is. It's way, way over. Like you have, have, sometimes people have... uh, extra weight on their baggage, you know, and they have to pay some fee or something. I, I got to the airport with these bags and I put it on the scale and the lady on the other side just looked at the scale and said, you're kidding, right? I mean, 32 kilos is the, is the, is the maximum that they're allowed to take, even if you pay all the, the penalties. 
So I came with 50 kilos in each and, and there was no way they were going to put this on the plate. So how did you get it over? Uh, well, thanks again, thank to, thanks to the uh, delegation of United Atzala and the help uh, they, they, they provided me. Um, they managed to run out and get me another bag and we managed to split uh, it into three bags, which made it under, under 32 kilos each. And, uh, and we managed to get it on board at the last minute as the gates were closing. And uh, very fortunately, we were able to, to get it over here and bring it, uh, like I said, on this 12 hour journey across borders to Moldova. And uh, we brought it to the Jewish community. I, I'm, I'm almost certain, I can't say this, uh, I don't know, 100%, but I, I have, uh, I'm pretty sure that all of that 100 kilo of food that I brought is already gone, meaning that it's already been eaten. So just to give you an idea of how quickly, how many refugees we're talking about and how quickly they go through the food. Right. We actually, we sent out, um, Amachad, the organization that I work with, sent out um, four pallets of food yesterday to Romania. They're going there today for Moldova. And I think, yeah, they'll be gone for four pallets of food, I think, within a few days, which I think takes me to the next question. Please tell us what you're seeing in Moldova. Like you got there, you got to Kishinev, which is the... Um, the um, capital uh, capital city of Moldova. Tell us what you saw there. Okay, so uh, when I got there, let me, let me just give you a little bit of my background here. Um, I am in the IDF in a unit that is uh, equivalent to FEMA in the United States. We do emergency management for the country. I also have, uh, on a personal level, uh, I'm what is known as a prepper. So I'm someone that deals with uh, pre preparedness and emergencies and disasters. So this is like right up my alley. When I got there, I immediately started to uh, figure out what the needs of the community were. I already saw that they were overwhelmed with the tens of refugees that they had there at the time. And I realized that within 24 to 48 hours, that is going to be in the hundreds. hundreds, And uh, a couple of days after that, it's gonna be in the thousands. So I realized that they are gonna be completely overrun if we don't start setting up things immediately, preparing for, for this mass influx. So uh, our organization started to fund um, and prepare for, for uh, a tent city, basically, for the refugees around the Jewish community, uh, building tents, which include having cots or mattresses, blankets and sleeping bags, uh, heating at, for the mass influx of expected, at that time, expected refugees. They're already already in the hundreds now. Um, and uh, as of yesterday, we actually, just to mention, go back to the food thing, uh, we also uh, leased a secondary kitchen for them uh, because they had a small, a relatively small kitchen in the Jewish community. And it wasn't enough to, to facilitate the hundreds of refugees that are pouring through the border and they needed to have a much larger kitchen to be able to cook. Uh, their goal was, as of yesterday, to make 600 uh, meals, 600 meals for, e 600 plates for each meal. Is that how you say it? Six, 600 people for each meal, 600 uh, meals. So that, that's- It's almost 2,000 meals a day. Correct, it's, it's right. a huge amount. And just to understand, the Jewish community of Kishinev is very, very small to begin with. It's a small community. They need to import the food, even in good days. It's not like they have their own food production there in the country. And every time they need to feed you know, the local community, they need to import all the food, even in regular days. So it's not as easy. And in regular days, you can fly into Kishinev, which today you cannot. Correct. There, there's an airport that's closed there. 
the, 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 you can buy local food, um, although it's getting more and more expensive by, by the day. Uh, you can buy local food, but kosher food, as far as like meats and cheeses, that's something that's not available locally. Right. They have like pasta and, and, and vegetables. You can get rice. Yeah, rice. They get, yeah. But you can get kosher food. Okay. And who is, tell us about Rabbi Zaltzman. Rabbi Zaltzman is the chief rabbi of Moldova. And I think he has been amazing. I've spoken to him quite a few times. I think we speak like every hour. Tell us a little bit about him and, and how he has been handling this. So Rabbi Zaltzman is a, a tzaddik, a, a righteous man. Um, I, I got, I met him for the first time uh, when we got in last week and uh, we fell in love at first sight. We, we've been uh, buddies ever since. He, he's really a very, very special individual that has been placed. We, we both feel that we've been placed in this, in this place uh, to do this job. God has put us here at this time in order to, uh, and we were fortunate that he's chosen us to be uh, his messengers for this important uh, mission. He is uh, someone who has had, I mean, I, I saw that he, he was getting perhaps two hours sleep a night at, at most. Uh, I know that he was housing refugees. Not only did he rent out all the local hotels um, and in the Jewish community, but in his house, he was not sleeping in his bed. He had refugees sleeping in his bed and he was sleeping out on the porch. Like th that, that's the type of person he was. He was somebody who, who was completely, who is completely focused on helping uh, Jews and the refugees that are coming over. And, uh, and he's completely committed to that. And, and I, my hat is off to him. It, it's, it's, it, it amazes me how much he has accomplished and will continue to accomplish uh, to help the people that are, that are, that are, that are escaping. Right. He has been amazing. And every time I talk to him, I, I hear like six phones ringing in the background and him giving directions to 10 other people. And I also had a good fortune of meeting him about, I think, two months ago in a Knesset hearing on diaspora jury was sitting next to each other. And I was very impressed by him when he spoke. So that's how I ended up reaching out to him to hear how we could help. And um, after we come back from this break, and I would love to hear about your plans for the coming days because you're staying there for a while and um, also how other people can help because I think it's such a huge humanitarian crisis and we're just at the start of it. So I think it's really important for our listeners to understand that there is absolutely things that they can do, how they can help, what the involvement can be. I think people hear that, you know, this government allocated this much money and this agency allocated that much money and that agency is doing an airlift and people are like, oh, the big people will take care of it. And everything the government is doing is great, but that's literally a drop in the bucket. There's so much need. So after we come back from the break, I would appreciate hearing your plans you know, for, the, for the coming days and weeks. And also let's discuss practically, as we say in Israel, what other people can do, what our listeners can do to help out. So please stay tuned, stay put. After the break, I'm here with Josh Wonder on the ground in Romania and Moldova helping out the refugees. We will be right back. The Tamar Yona Show. Tamar? She's sassy. She's smart. She's funny. But she's also a real Jewish mother. 
Hi, everybody. I'm Tamar Yona. And yes, I can be all of those things. But at Israel News Talk Radio, I'm here to bring you the news stories and guests that you may not hear anywhere else. Join me live on air Sundays, Mondays, and Tuesdays for the most unique and bold talk radio in Israel. The Tamar Yona Show. Okay, welcome back. And we are here with Josh Wander in Romania and Moldova on the ground helping out the Jewish refugees from Ukraine. Josh, welcome back. So in the previous segment, you told us about the past few days you've been in Moldova and Romania helping out. And I want to hear from you. What are the needs you're seeing? What are the needs that are being taken? I know I've been taken care of. And what are the needs that people have? So their their needs, okay, as we were speaking in the earlier segments, the, the immediate needs that I saw uh, were the shelter, the need for shelter. If you're having these hundreds that may turn into thousands of refugees crossing the border and they need to have, it, it's cold here. It's, it's at night, it gets below zero and, uh, and, we, and it, they definitely need to be sheltered. They need to have a place to sleep at night. Like I said, they've already taken over um, all of the uh, hotels that are in the area, and there's no room for them there. We, we set up the tents yesterday, and uh, I don't know, I, I haven't been in touch this morning about the tents, but I, but I believe that they're already moving into the, the tents that we've set up. If necessary, we can move more in. The, this, this city, the municipality, is uh, providing some assistance. I mean, they obviously have a, it's a huge city. I think at one time they said it was over a million, the population. Today, it's somewhere like uh, five or 600,000. And uh, they have more, more concerns than just the, the Jewish community, but they, they are assisting. I actually met with the mayor last week and, and they are sending some assistance to help out. So after shelter, we also spoke about food, food that can be either purchased locally or brought in is the, is the next thing. And then finally, um, as far as medical is concerned, there is a whole group of United Hatzalah um, medics, doctors, paramedics that are there that are on the ground and are helping with any medical needs that the refugees. So have. my understanding from last night is that they actually need more doctors. Is that true? Is that just sounds as well that Rabbi Zaltzman needs more doctors on the ground there? If he said so, I'm sure he does. I, I, I didn't see that need when I was there, but right now I'm in Romania. So somebody called me, I had a Zoom meeting last night uh, some great people were, were, were trying to, they, they had a flight, they booked a flight for March 10th uh, to come in to help. Yes, I spoke and, to them. I know those great okay. people from Texas. Yeah, I know, I know you do. That, that. So, so I, I told them right away, I said, you know what, the, the, the situation here is changing by the hour, literally by the hour. So if you want, want me to tell you what's going to happen on March 10th, that's like, you know, me telling you what the lottery number is going to be. Um, but the, it's it, really amazing, no but it's really actually amazing that the people out in Texas who really care and, and know they told me we're getting back from, you know, from some plans that we're some places we're at, we're at. But as soon as we get back to the United States, the next day we're getting on the plane and going to Europe to help being boots on the ground. And these are people in, you know, in, in Texas that, that they really Hawaii, care. Un- unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, and, you know, I think when we when we look at this, my sense is if we could you know, get back in touch with our grandparents in 1939 
and tell them, you know, look, you know, grandma, grandpa, this is what's going to happen. And this is where you need to get involved to help people. You know, they didn't know at the time, but in hindsight, this, you know, we could tell them what's going to happen. This is probably going to be the biggest humanitarian crisis in European history since 1945. So we need to take that insight that we could give to our grandparents and use it now to help the people who are on the ground. You know, you said Kishinev has 500, 600,000 um, uh, residents right. and about 100,000 refugees right now. You know, not just Jewish, of, of every, uh, from every nation. The wait times on the Ukrainian-Polish border, I think at six, 60 hours right now. And at other borders, you know, it's, um, 10 to 15 miles long lines to, to cross over. So they're saying that 2% of Ukrainian population has left or trying to leave. That's millions of people. And men yeah. and men between 18 and 60 are not able to leave. So you were finding a lot of women and children. We didn't, I didn't get to that, but we, that we also did, uh, we've been going to the borders uh, of Moldova. There are a number of different borders that cross over the Ukraine. We've been trying to help the refugees crossing over there. Uh, both with medical needs, housing needs, whatever they need. And uh, it's it's very, very, um, it's an emotional, touching scene to see it, to see refugees in the 21st century, that there still could be such a thing as refugees. Uh, And like you said, we we should learn from our lessons from history. We have a lot more um, abilities today because of the, uh, tech, modern technology because of communications to get the word out. It's not like the, it's, 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 you can't say that people don't know what's going on. People should know exactly what's going on. <clears throat> people are watching constantly on the news and they see it happening, unfolding before their eyes. So the next step is, is what we can do practically to help them. And there, I believe there are practical things that we can do to help them. I, I'm, I'm going to have to be a little bit not politically correct uh, and say that there, there are there are many, many large organizations out there that are raising huge amounts of, of money, um, tens, hundreds of millions of dollars that are being raised for Ukraine and for Ukrainian refugees. It could be, I, 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 I'm only one person, I can't be everywhere at all times. It could be that they're somewhere there, I have not seen them. So, you know, all this money, I have no idea where it's going. Um, but I, I'm a little bit leery about what's happening with all that money. And I, 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 I ask people to make sure that they are contributing to campaigns that they know are legitimate and they know that they're actually, their money is actually going to go on the ground here to help people. Right. And it, it, for big um, organizations, it takes time to trickle the money down to the ground and, and there are many, many on the ground, ground level um, initiatives that can take the money and put them, you know, put them into the people's hands right away. So just, you know, just to mention, we got, let's say, a $2,000 uh, contribution yesterday from somebody in the United States, and we put it straight into the bank account of an organization that is on the ground in Ukraine. Now, the Ukrainian banking system is broken. So the way we got the money over was that the person in Israel said, I'm going to go, as soon as the donation hits the bank, I'm going to the nearest ADM, pulling out the money in cash and giving it to somebody who's flying over to Moldova to give to our community to go buy food. This is like your $2,000 donation hit the bank and 36 to 48 hours later, it is in cash in the hands of people who actually need right, this, this is a big deal. I just want to mention two more things about that. 
One is that, <clears throat> excuse me for interrupting. The first thing is that the, the, the money that was going to Kishinev, um was being routed, it may still be routed, I don't know, through an account in Moscow, which there is a there are huge uh, boycotts and sanctions on, on money going through Russia right now. So I, I told them they should make sure that if any money that they see there, they immediately withdraw and get it out of there as quickly as possible, because if it gets stuck there, then it's, it's really a waste. Um, and the second thing is that there, there are a lot of people that are coming over from, from um, Ukraine that they're just like the ruble in Russia is now almost worthless. I mean, th- there are people that are coming over with stacks of money that are, that are really, that, that they show up here and they don't have any money because that their money is, is, is not worth anything it's gone. anymore. Yes. <clears throat> so, right. so it's, it, it's, it's, that's all part of the problem. Part get, you know, the supply chain managing to get, whether it be food or, or funds here is part of the, the issue. And we, we're doing our best to try to get on the ground. As far as the big organizations are concerned, you're much more optimistic than I. I all I can say is that I hope the money trickles down eventually. I, and I hope it's not too late. Right. I mean, well, this is going to be a long-term crisis, but definitely when you, I, we're going to talk about the practical things people do in a minute. Um, and I want to talk about the, the orphanage, you know, the orphanage, we, we were very lucky to help a Ukrainian orphanage cross the border yesterday. And, you know, I was personally involved with getting them the right paperwork and, and taking care of the bureaucracies and and actually helping them cross over because they weren't sure they could cross over because of the bureaucratic issues so it was amazing and very very fortunate to be there to to help them cross over they were in the bomb shelter the night before it was you know it was air raids in the area so there are 100 kids who crossed over from ukraine into romania yesterday and i know you're on the as soon as we finish the show you're on the, your way to the kids. So tell us about your plans for this orphanage. It's 100 kids from a children's home in Ukraine that made it to uh, Romania. And there are two more such institutions that are hopefully, we should all pray, should make their way over today um, to uh, one to Moldova and one to a different country, which I'm not going to disclose right now. So what are your plans for the orphanage? Yeah, we have to be very careful because these, these children, unfortunately, are still very much at risk. And uh, and uh, we hope that they get here very soon and are able to uh, to, to come to safety. The, the the orphanage that is here is in the northern part of uh, Romania, currently temporarily, I should say, because their their final goal is to make it back home to Israel. Um, and my plans are today <clears throat> to drive up there. It's about six hours uh, in each direction to drive up there and to bring the kids. Um, toys and games before Purim. Uh, hopefully to bring some joy to them, some candies and some things that'll cheer them up. Um, these are people that have left behind a, the, the, everything that they have known. Um, I'm sure that there is a lot of uh, a trauma uh, to them that even, even it will probably be a long-term trauma. Um, even, even to people that are, are coming with their families, it's traumatic, but even more so for orphans. And uh, we're going to see what their needs are, what we can do to help. Like I said, hopefully they're only here, you know, very temporarily. And in the coming days, they hope to, to make it back home to Israel. Right. Actually, for that orphanage, the rabbi of the city where they're currently located, rented out the, the hotels in the city to be able to uh, put up the kids so they have a comfortable place to be in. I think it's actually amazing how the Jewish community has pull together to pull people out literally from all over the world. People are pulling together and doing everything they can to make this as, as you know, this traumatic experience as 
as, as, you know, as safe and smooth as possible. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the practical things that our listeners can do. This is going to be all about that. So stay put. We'll be right back with you in a moment. Don't go anywhere. In a time where feelings have become fact, where rational thought and common sense has disappeared, one man stands above it all. I'm Howie Sobaker, your political hitman. Political Hitman airs every Tuesday at 11.59 p.m. North American time, 7 a.m. Israeli time, only on Israel News Talk Radio. Okay, we're back for the final segment of the show, which is all about Ukraine and the refugees. We've been talking a lot about the refugee crisis. We haven't even touched the Ukraine story, the people who are still actually on the inside in Ukraine, the people trying to make their way out of Ukraine in various areas. I know I'm hearing from different people and there, there is actual fighting and it's quite dangerous. There was an Israeli that was killed um, just two days ago, uh, you know, trying to make his way out. So the people in Ukraine still need our help, and it's quite hard to get to them and to get the help to them. I spoke to the rabbi of Hadich, which is a Jewish town um, in on the um, eastern side of Ukraine. Actually, the, you know, the fighting is five miles away from them. It's a Jewish site. It's the burial site of the first Chabad rabbi. And because it's a Jewish site, I think they have 300 or 400 people who huddle there together. They have some food stocks. And I asked what you can do. He said, the only thing you can do right now is pray for us because the fighting is really like just a few miles away from them. But I want to take these 10 minutes, this, you know, this segment about um, to talk about what every single listener can do. And I think every single one of us can do things. It's easy to rely on the government and the agencies and the big people. But I think it takes every single individual to help. And, and this is an opportunity that we have. So Josh, you know, the people who are listening to us out there in the United States, in the UK, in France, in Israel, wherever they are, what do you think they can do to help? Quick Tzvar Torah, Rabbi Nachman Kahana <clears throat> speaks about the uh, plagues that were in Egypt. And in the Torah, it says that the frogs, the second of the plagues, uh, the frogs were commanded by God to go into the houses of the Egyptians, to, uh, to go into their living rooms, to go into their bedrooms, to go into the ovens even. And Rabbi Nachman says that, you know, the, the frogs were not told which frog was supposed to do what. They were given the, the free will to choose. And some of the frogs decided they're gonna go into the living room, turn on the plasma TV, watch the game. <clears throat> some of them, <clears throat> excuse me, went into the bedrooms and they put a big quilt over themselves and had a nice snooze. And some of them said, you know what? God has told us that we have to go into the ovens and we are willing to sacrifice ourselves for this cause. Today, similarly, we have people that on all different levels, we have people that assist with all different crises and, and, and help out in Israel and, and abroad. 
Jewish communities, and they help with that by, by sitting back in their offices and writing checks. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's that's wonderful. That that's one one type of fraud. But there are the people. Yeah, but it's that, important to do that. I think it's, it's important, important for people to go and write out absolutely. those checks. I'm just saying that there are, there are different levels there. There are, right. there are also those people that are willing to go a little bit further, and there are there, there are those that are willing to go all the way and to sacrifice themselves for the cause, to risk their own lives for other people. And, and those are the ones that I want to really commend here. And when we speak about what's happening on the ground right now, it's those people that are on the front lines that are really making a difference now. Of course, it, we need the checks that are coming from, from behind in order to make that happen. Uh, but it, it takes people that are on the front lines to, to make it happen. So the combination of people that are contributing to legitimate campaigns like your own, like mine, like Israel 365, these, this is what are bringing the, the people like myself that are able, we're not big organizations, we're people that, that were, were able to go uh, to the, wherever we're needed at the last, you know, at a, at, a, at a spare moment, and we're able to deal with the needs that are on the ground, assess the needs that are on the ground, and deal with them right away. This morning, like I said, I'm on my way to the orphanage. I'm running out right after this to rent a car, going to a, a, a toy store and a candy store, buying all the materials. And driving up, like like if you were a big organization, you'd probably have to go through lots of paperwork in order to do this. We're doing it on this, you know, on, we, we know it's there. We know we have this opportunity in the next couple of days to do it. We're doing it today. We're, we're grabbing every opportunity we can. Whenever we see a need, that's where, we, where, where we're at. And that's what we'll continue to do. And that's what I think as far as people assisting, they have to find the right campaigns, legitimate campaigns that are out there in order to assist the, the, the people that really need it. Uh, right now at, at this uh, critical moment. Right. And I know I'm going to share Vartor of my own. The Lubavitcher Rebbe has a letter, which I think is amazing. And he writes that whenever a person wants to give charity, to give tzedakah, so then when a person undertakes to do more than they can, then God gives them the opportunity and the ability to do more than they can. And the same is true, he writes, for spiritual tzedakah. You know, not just for the money that you contribute, but for the time and the emotional energy you contribute. And, you know, when I, when I call to ask, I just share my story. When I call to ask, you know, the rabbi in Moldova and the rabbi in Ukraine, what can I do? And they told me, we need this. Oh, no, we need the food sent. I've never sent a, a freight of food anywhere. I've never sent a freight of anything anywhere. Completely new experience. And it took me seven hours to hand the shipment over to Elal yesterday in, you know, in the airport. And the amount of paperwork and bureaucracy and do this and do that and do the other thing and fix that is overwhelming. But like now I know how to do it. I get home and I get a phone call from somebody high up in Elal. He says, you know, you handle this shipment. We have now this shipment coming. Can you walk them through the process? Now you did it once and now you become the tour guide for other people who haven't done that. And the same thing was, you know, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs who worked with the Israeli government to help one orphanage cross. And an hour later, you get a call from another one. Oh, can you help us with that too? So, uh, you know, in a day, literally, you become an expert on things you never thought you could do. And other people are now turning to you for help on how to do it. So what I'm saying is, I think every single one of our listeners is sitting at home and, you know, and we can look at the, you know, at the news reports and say, this is horrible. And I mean, that's nice. And you can, you know, then you can go, go to Facebook and write, oh, this is horrible and put the Ukrainian flag on your on your profile, you know, and 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 that's a little bit of moral support for Ukraine. And then the people who can give money. So, you know, if you think you can donate $50, maybe you can donate $60. Make that go a little bit beyond your comfort zone. And then 
you know, if you know people in that part of the world in Europe, reach out to them, ask, what can I do? I think just that warmth and knowing that somebody cares is a lot. And then maybe they will actually give you something to do that you can do and just go try. You never know what you can reach until you do. And if you can get on the plane and get to this part of the world to Europe and help out, that's amazing. We do know that the Moldovian Jewish community needs doctors. So if you're a doctor who is willing to go out to Moldova, Moldova is not dangerous now. It's not um, a life-threatening situation. Um, If the doctors who hear me, who think they can go out to Moldova to treat refugees, please email me through the show. The first doctor to show up was actually a Jewish doctor from Hatsala in Miami uh, that flew out right away. I think he flew out already last week, early last week, even before all the fighting. And he's been there ever since with his two sons. So, you know, people do it. There are people that just give up. They, they drop everything, their work and everything. And they understand the necessity to, to deal with this crisis right now before it gets even worse than it already is. Right. I think they're expecting five to seven million refugees out um, out of Ukraine in Europe. It's going to take a while. These but- not, I don't think people understand these numbers. I mean, people, first of all, just to understand the Jewish community, I don't think we mentioned this before. There are hundreds of thousands of Jews in the Ukraine, I think there were a hundred and somebody told me a hundred and thirty-five Chabad shluchim in, in, in Ukraine. Some there crazy are two, number. Yeah, the two hundred, almost two hundred Chabad centers in Ukraine. There are uh, about there are about seventy-five thousand Jews in Ukraine, and about two hundred thousand who are considered to be eligible under law of return. So they're like descendants of Jews or something like that. But just if you think of people. If you think of people, it's five to seven million people. It's it's like a country. It's like you know, a country. It's like it's like a. It's like know, Israel. It's, it's like a state, right? Or like New Jersey. You know, think of entire New Jersey having to move somewhere. You know, moving into Pennsylvania and overrunning Pennsylvania. It's it's huge, and the needs are huge. So I think it's uh, you know, every one of us has to look in the mirror and say, you know, this could be me. These were regular people, literally a week ago. These were regular people going, you know, about their business, going to work, taking kids to school, you know, doing bedroom routines the exactly same way that each and every one of us does. And within hours, you know, nobody believed. We I was at a meeting in the Knesset about 10 days ago about, you know, the assessment of what's going to happen, what needs to happen. And the Israeli government was taking some steps, you know, to preempt the situation. But I think the energy was, you know, we're doing some preemptive um, measures, but you know, it's really not going to happen. I think nobody believed that it's going to happen. And people in Kiev itself did not believe it was going to happen. I have these mixed messages from people who are very afraid on the one hand, and the other people say, nah, it's not going to happen. So a week ago, these people were going to work, coming back shopping and, and doing bedroom routines the way we are. And today they're running for their lives and literally they're getting on buses and going for 60 hours, for 70 hours from place to place, just to, you know, only with the, you know, the clothes on their back. And many of these families are now displaced and separated because the fathers cannot leave. So it's actually many mothers with kids and older people and and young children who really need our help. So I'm calling, and Josh, I think you should too, on every single one of our listeners, go do something. If it's $10, $15, if it's a small donation, Whatever you can do, I think every single one of our listeners has to do something at the end of the show. So I'm uh, handing it over to you, Josh, for the last word. A, a personal note, something that happened to me yesterday. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pretty tough guy. 
not tough and aggressively, but a tough in that I, I usually don't, uh, I don't break down in tears so easily. Um, I've been in war zones before. And uh, last yesterday, just to give you a share, a personal story, I had a flight to go somewhere and I missed the flight. Um, after, you know, I tried to get there. It took many, many, many hours of travel on land and I, and I got and I missed the flight. In the back of my car was a, was a refugee family. And one of the, uh, there was a little girl that was sitting behind me, maybe eight years old. And um, she saw how upset I was. And, and, and as, as I was, you know, she starts rubbing my arm and saying, it's going to be okay. It's going to be oh, okay. Wow. She's telling me this is a refugee family that ran away from the bombs, from her household, from, from her family, everything. She has nothing. And she's trying to comfort me because I missed the flight. So this just puts everything in perspective. Thank you so much, Josh. This was an unbelievable conversation. Go do the good thing. Go fight the good fight. And we'll see you later. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. Bye-bye. Where can you get the inside news on Israel? At Israel News Talk Radio, we're dedicated to sharing Israel's inside story with the world by providing our listeners with news on Israeli politics, current affairs, and Israeli Jewish culture. The Israel News Talk Radio homepage also provides you, the listener, with useful information at your fingertips with scrolling news headlines, weather, currency exchange, Shabbat candlelighting times, and so much more. Our radio programming is always accessible and on demand. We operate absolutely free of charge for everyone, everywhere. If you love what we do, partner with us now by becoming an Israel News Talk Radio supporter. With your support, you'll be inscribed on our Israel News Talk Radio Wall of Fame. There's nothing like us in the world. Be part of something great. Israel News Talk Radio. Straight talk from Israel. Howdy, this is Rita from League City, Texas, now living in Israel. And though my heart may have belonged to Texas, it now belongs to Israel and all the fantastic show hosts at Israel News Talk Radio. Hi, this is Michael Solomon from Kiryat Arba, Israel. And why do I love listening to Israel News Talk Radio? Because I love listening to the interesting interviews they do and their news reporting that most other media sources don't cover. Hey, this is Nicole Eko from Malmo, Sweden. It gets pretty cold here in Sweden, so I love cuddling up with a warm cup of tea while I listen to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, everybody, this is Frank Carr from Tennessee. Me and my dog Buster really love listening to Israel News Talk Radio. <laughs> You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. opinion and more you're listening to israel news talk radio 